Have you, primary girls, ever wondered what your life is going to be like, as Sister Jack did? What do you dream of? Ten-year-old Amy told me, I dream about what I will be like and where I will go and what I will do. Eleven-year-old Christine said, I worry about bad things that happen at school. Some things scare me. What is in the future for you? Will there be adventure? Will there be danger? Will there be sorrow? Will there be love and families? Will there be disappointments? Will there be fun and laughter? The answer to all of these dreams and questions is yes. Yes, yes. Anything and everything is possible. Let's imagine that you are terribly hungry when you are ushered into a room full of banquet tables spread with many kinds of food. You are allowed to choose which foods to eat. One table holds foods that taste good but aren't very nutritious. Another holds foods that are actually harmful to your body and could even cause you to get sick or die. Some tables hold just one kind of food, like all desserts. That sounds good to me. And yet another is filled with a rich variety of delicious foods that are well-balanced and nutritious. Which will you choose? No matter what the future holds for you, just as the banquet tables are laden with food waiting to be savored, life is a fabulous feast of experiences just waiting for you to choose and explore. You are now hungering to know all about life, and there are many tables from which you may choose. Some choices seem good but are harmful. Some choices are fun but don't lead you anywhere. Some choices could destroy you. However, just as the feast on the banquet table with a variety of good food is best for our physical bodies, the best feast in life is at the table of the Lord. What is on the Lord's table? Love, good fun, uplifting music, peaceful prayer, scriptures, smiles, learning, happy talk, warm hug, hugs, good friends, and service to others. This is where eternal joy can be found. That's why in primary you repeat the motto, I will follow God's plan for me. Although you will have disappointing days and discouragement and sorrow along with the good, if you follow God's plan, you will be feasting at the table of the Lord where the spiritual satisfaction is far greater and lasts longer than the physical satisfaction of food. My dear sisters, Satan wants you. He wants you very much. He swore an oath before the world was that he would try anything to capture and enslave and ruin you. He wants you more than others because you have the truth. You are the ones who can touch hearts, change lives, and lead others to our Heavenly Father. We women of the Church have significant and critical work to do for the Lord, and that's why Satan wants you. Having you on his side is the best victory of all for him, because not only will he have cheated you out of your eternal blessings, but he will also cheat others whom you could have influenced through your good example. The contents of Satan's table appear inviting. They may even seem fun and harmless. In fact, 
Satan can make us feel that terrible things are really all right to do. Now, if he came to you looking ugly and scary and said, Come with me, you'd turn around and run as fast as you could. But Satan knows you're too smart for that, so he has to trick you. And one way he does that is by making bad things seem good. Everybody does it. No one will know. Just this once won't hurt. Or it's not really a bad thing to do. You've heard some of those phrases before, haven't you? But that wasn't Satan who said it, you answer. To that I reply, it was Satan's message, delivered to you perhaps by someone who is, to one degree or another, in his power. Those phrases are warnings. When you hear them, that is when you should turn and run away from danger. Sometimes we try to tell ourselves that wrong is right. We try to do this, we do this to try to feel better about doing wrong things. On a television show recently, a girl was caught breaking a serious family rule. She said, I wasn't being disobedient, I was just learning independence. Well, no matter what she said or how she tried to justify what she had done, the truth was she had disobeyed a rule that was made to protect her. When she disobeyed, the protection was gone. That's important to remember, so I want to say it one more time. When she disobeyed, the protection was gone. Satan wants us to lose our protection, that is, the help of the Holy Ghost, because that's when he can gain power over us. When we obey, we can have the protection of the Holy Ghost. I, the Lord, am bound, he said, when ye do what I say. But when ye do not what I say, ye have no promise. Satan keeps at us all of our lives. As we grow older, he adds phrases like these to the messages he delivers. I'm not worth much, or I've done my part, now it's someone else's turn. Or it's too late for me, or the brethren just don't understand. I know better than they do. When these thoughts or feelings come into our minds and hearts, they too are warnings that let us know we are in danger, in danger of losing the Spirit, losing our testimonies, and forfeiting eternal joy. These too are times to run and escape from the danger before us. And where do we run? To our Heavenly Father. Suppose you had a very important job that had to be done, and There were several people that you could ask to do the job for you. Which person would you choose? Wouldn't you choose the one who was best qualified to do the job? The best prepared? That is what our Heavenly Father did. The very important work He has to be done was to save us from sin and spiritual death and show us how we could return to Him. Unlike Satan, who wants to destroy you, Heavenly Father wants you because He loves you. He has provided ways to protect you from Satan. And whom did He choose to show us the way? His Son, Jesus Christ. Behold, I am He who was prepared from the foundation of the world to redeem my people. That 
is our Heavenly Father's work. Our work is to live worthy of returning to Him and help others to do the same. When Jesus was in the wilderness, Satan promised Jesus power and fame if he would worship Him. Jesus, knowing Satan's promises are false, said, Get thee behind me, Satan, meaning go away, don't bother me, I won't listen to you. Satan can influence us only if we let him. Each time you resist evil, the Lord blesses you with more strength to resist. When I do something I shouldn't, I don't like the way I feel. But the first time I say in my mind or by what I do, Get thee behind me, Satan, I feel a surge of strength and power to resist. It is the Holy Ghost helping me. It's a wonderfully secure feeling. Resisting Satan is the appetizer at the banquet table of the Lord. It prepares us for more of the life-giving sustenance the Lord has for us. While it is important to be aware of the desire Satan has to own us, it is not necessary for us to live in fear. In the Doctrine and Covenants we are taught, If ye are prepared, ye shall not fear. As we prepare ourselves to receive the blessings of the Lord and to be worthy to serve Him, we are gathering strength, power from the Holy Ghost, preparing ourselves to overcome evil. One part of preparing is repenting. If you have done something wrong, I hope you know it was wrong and will repent. Talk to your parents, your bishop, or your teacher. They love you, and they can help you know what to do to repent so you can be clean again. And start over. Little sisters, do not be afraid of Satan or afraid of the future. Instead, follow the example of Heavenly Father's Son, our Savior Jesus Christ. Then you will be strong and be able to say with confidence, Get thee behind me, Satan. When I was a girl, on summer mornings, the first sound I heard through my open window as I was waking was the song of a meadowlark. I liked the call of the killdeer and the chirp of the chickadee and the screech of the magpie, but the song of the meadowlark was especially beautiful to me, and I trained my ear to hear it amid other sounds. We can train our spiritual senses the same way so we can recognize our Heavenly Father's will for us. We train our spiritual senses by doing good things. We are taught to search diligently in the light of Christ, that ye say ye know good from evil, and if ye will lay hold upon every good thing and condemn it not, ye certainly will be a child of Christ. To lay hold upon every good thing means to look for good and do good. Then you will have good feelings, and you can know which choices to make. Although you usually will not hear an answer as easily as I heard the song of a meadowlark, you will be able to feel that what you are doing is right. President Benson spoke to all the children last conference and told you how to be happy. He was telling you what our Heavenly Father wants you to know. Get a copy of his message and keep it right with your scriptures. Read it over and over and do what the prophet says, and you will know God's plan for you and how you can follow his plan. 
follow the example of good women. Tonight you have seen women who are trying to follow God's plan, Sister Jepson who's conducting, Sister Doxy and Sister Jack who have spoken, are great examples, models you can follow. We even think alike. I testify of the truthfulness of their words. Sisters Joy Evans, Jane Malin, and Ruth Wright, also counselors in the Relief Society, Young Women in Primary, are spiritual women and great leaders. Members of the Primary, Young Women, and Relief Society general boards, whom you see on the stand, have made choices to selfishly, excuse me, unselfishly, serve the Lord. Make no mistake about it, they are unselfish. These are women who have dreamed, worried, and grown, as you are doing. They have done much good in small, private ways, as well as in their public church service. And my dear friends, Relief Society President Barbara Winder and Young Women President Ardeth Cap, they are real heroines. When Sister Cap was a young girl, like you, she struggled with her schoolwork. Later, she graduated with honors and earned advanced degrees. And when Sister Winder was your age, like many of you, she worried because her parents were not active in the church. Now they've been sealed in the temple. Just like you and me, Sister Cap and Sister Winder still have things they worry about and struggle with. They know that things don't always turn out the way we want, but that our Heavenly Father will always help us if we do our best and are obedient. Then we will have what is best for us. They have prepared themselves. They follow the Savior and they follow the prophet. And by doing so, they have learned what God's plan is for them. And they are faithfully trying to follow that plan. Like you, they were ordinary girls with the same dreams and fears that you are experiencing. Now they are ordinary women living extraordinary lives doing some of the critical, important work of the Lord, as you will do. Barbara and Ardeth, how I love you. You are worthy examples to all of us. You girls can follow the example of these women, and you also have many good women who are close to you. Watch the good things your mothers do. Your grandmothers, sisters, aunts, leaders, and teachers also have good qualities and can teach you many good things. They know how important it is for them to follow the Savior and to be good examples to you. Above all, follow God's plan for you. Prepare and do not fear, for God knows you and loves you and will watch over you. The final words of the song we are about to hear from this magnificent choir tell us about how Heavenly Father wants us to follow His plan. The words are, What does He ask? Live like His Son. Just as food satisfies our physical hunger, we can partake with satisfaction and delight in all the Father has for us as we, living like His Son, feast at the table of the Lord. Of these things I testify. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. I wish to speak today of a special dimension of the gospel, the necessity for constant communication with God through the process known as divine revelation. 
This principle is basic to our belief. President Wilford Woodruff declared, Whenever the Lord had a people on the earth that he acknowledged as such, that people were led by revelation. I affirm at the beginning that the inspiration of God is available to all who worthily seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit. This is particularly true of those who have received the gift of the Holy Ghost. I wish to speak today, however, of God's communication to all of his children through prophets as distinguished from personal revelation received by individual members of the Church and others. The prophets, seers, and revelators have had and still have the responsibility and privilege of receiving and declaring the Word of God for the world. Individual members, parents, and leaders have the right to receive revelation for their own responsibility, but have no duty nor right to declare the Word of God beyond the limits of their own responsibility. I use as my text the ninth article of faith. We believe all that God has revealed, all that he does now reveal, and we believe that he will yet reveal many great and important things pertaining to the kingdom of God. The first part states, We believe all that God has revealed. Through the ages, God's messages to his children generally have been revealed through prophets. Amos tells us, Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. These are the prophetic oracles who have tuned in over the centuries to the celestial transmitting station with a responsibility to relay the Lord's word to others. The principal qualifications of a prophet in any age are not wealth, title, position, physical stature, scholarship, or intellectual attainment. The two qualifications are that a prophet must be called as such by God, by open prophecy, and ordained by one known to have legal and spiritual authority. And he must receive and declare revelation from God. No man knows the ways of God except it be revealed unto him. Over the centuries, revelation from prophets has come incrementally. The Lord stated, For he will give unto the faithful line upon line, precept upon precept, and I will try and prove you herewith. Revelations have come by different means. Among other ways, they have come by the guidance of the Holy Ghost, which perhaps is most common, by the spoken word and by the visits of holy messengers. The ninth article of faith continues, We believe all that God does now reveal. For some strange reason it seems easier for many to believe the words of dead prophets rather than those of living prophets. The greatest revelator in our time has been Joseph Smith. In the difficult period between 1823 and 1843, just 20 years, 134 revelations were received, printed, and made public. Each of the 89 apostles called since then has been sustained as a prophet, seer, and revelator. But the prophet, seers, and revelators succeeding Joseph as presidents of the Church have been those apostles 
in whom all of the keys of Christ's earthly kingdom have been active and functioning. We now move forward nobly and boldly with courage and conviction, led by our venerable prophet, Ezra Taft Benson. He is in every respect entitled to our sustaining action. For 46 years he has been sustained as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is now the senior apostle on the earth. He has been ordained and set apart as the prophet, seer, and revelator to the world. He has been sustained as the president of the Church. He has been given two inspired counselors to help him. He is the presiding high priest over all the priesthood on the earth. He alone holds all and exercises all of the keys of the kingdom under the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head of this Church and is its chief cornerstone. Under his presidency, assisted by his two great counselors, and sustained by the Quorum of the Twelve, he is leading this work forward. I do not believe members of this Church can be in full harmony with the Savior without sustaining his living prophet on the earth, the President of the Church. If we do not sustain the living prophet, whoever he may be, we die spiritually. Ironically, some have died spiritually by exclusively following prophets who have long been dead. Others equivocate in their support of living prophets, trying to lift themselves up by putting down the living prophets, however subtly. In our lifetime, we have been favored with ongoing communication from the heavens, which have been open to the prophets of our time. Major divine pronouncements have included what we now know as the 138th section of the Doctrine and Covenants given in 1918. Surely one of the greatest divine disclosures came in 1978 when the blessings of the priesthood and temple became available to all worthy male members. Line upon line and precept upon precept, new knowledge and direction have been given to the Church. Thus, by revelation in our day, the 70s have been given an expanded role as members of area presidencies and in general Church administration helping the First Presidency and the Twelve in building up the Church and regulating all the affairs of the same in all nations. Many other divine instructions have also been received. Much revelation received in this time, as well as anciently, has been doctrinal. Some of it has been operational and tactical. Much of it is not spectacular. President John Taylor reminds us, Adam's revelation did not instruct Noah to build his ark, nor did Noah's revelation tell Lot to forsake Sodom, nor did either of these speak of the departure of the children of Israel from Egypt. These all had revelations for themselves. In our time, God has revealed how to administer the Church with a membership of six million differently than when there were just six members of the Church. These differences include the use of modern technology, such as films, computers, and satellite broadcasts, to teach and communicate new ways to conduct missionary work in the various nations, the location and building of temples, and many others. This process of continuous revelation comes to the Church very frequently. President Wilford Woodruff stated, 
This power is in the bosom of Almighty God, and he imparts it to his servants, the prophets, as they stand in need of it day by day to build up Zion. This is necessary for the Church to fulfill its mission. Without it, we would fail. A very encouraging portion of the Ninth Article of Faith we have been considering is its conclusion. We believe that he will yet reveal many great and important things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Elder Boyd K. Packer stated, Revelation is a continuous principle in the Church. In one sense, the Church is still being organized. As light and knowledge are given, as prophecies are fulfilled and more intelligence is received, another step forward can be taken. Close quote. This Church constantly needs the guidance of its head, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This was well taught by President George Q. Cannon. We have the Bible and the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants, but all of these books without the living oracles and a constant stream of revelation from the Lord would not lead any people into the celestial kingdom. This may seem a strange declaration to make. But strange as it may sound, it is nevertheless true. Of course, these records are all of infinite value. They cannot be too highly prized, nor can they be too closely studied. But in and of themselves, with all the light that they give, they are insufficient to guide the children of men and to lead them into the presence of God. To be thus led requires a living priesthood and a constant revelation from God to the people according to the circumstances in which they may be placed. Close quote. When will this promised revelation come? Only God knows when. It will come as needed. To whom will it come? To obtain the answer to this, we must go back to the words of Amos. Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. This continuous revelation will not and cannot be forced by outside pressure from people and events. It is not the so-called revelation of social progress. It does not originate with the prophets. It comes from God. The Church is governed by the prophet under the guidance and direction of God. Harley P. Pratt disclosed, The legislative, judicial, and executive power is vested in him, the Lord. He reveals the laws, and he elects, chooses, or appoints the officers, and holds the right to reprove, correct, or even to remove them at his pleasure. Hence the necessity of a constant intercourse by direct revelation between him and his Church. Close quote. We have been promised that the President of the Church will receive guidance for all of us as the revelator for the Church. Our safety lies in paying heed to that which he says and following his counsel. The doctrine of this Church was stated by President Stephen L. Richards. They, the Presidency, are the Supreme Court here on earth in the interpretation of God's law. In the exercise of their functions and delegated powers, they are controlled by a constitution, part of which is written and a part of which is not. The written part consists in the authenticated scripture, ancient and modern, and in the recorded utterances of our Latter-day Prophets. 
The unwritten part is the spirit of revelation and divine inspiration, which are pertinent to their calling. In formulating their interpretations and decisions, they always confer with the Council of Twelve Apostles, who, by revelation, are appointed to assist and act with them in the government of the Church. When, therefore, a judgment is reached and proclaimed by these officers, it becomes binding upon all the members of the Church, individual views to the contrary notwithstanding. God's kingdom is a kingdom of law and order." How can we be so sure that, as promised, the prophets, seers, and revelators will never lead this people astray? One answer is contained in the grand principle found in the 107th section of the Doctrine and Covenants. And every decision made by either of these quorums must be by the unanimous voice of the same. This requirement of unanimity provides a check on bias and personal idiosyncrasies. It ensures that God rules through the Spirit, not man through majority or compromise. It ensures that the best wisdom and experience is focused on an issue before the deep, unassailable impressions of revealed direction are received. It guards against the foibles of man. The responsibility for determining the divine validity of what one of the oracles of God states does not rest solely upon him. President J. Reuben Clark stated, We can tell when the speakers are moved upon by the Holy Ghost only when we ourselves are moved upon by the Holy Ghost. This is in harmony with the counsel of Brigham Young. I am more afraid that this people will have so much confidence in their leaders that they will not inquire for themselves of God whether they are led by him. I am fearful that they settle down in a state of blind self-security, trusting their eternal destiny in the hands of their leaders with a reckless confidence that in itself would thwart the purposes of God in their salvation and weaken that influence they could give to their leaders did they know for themselves by the revelations of Jesus that they are led in the right way. Let every man and woman know by the whisperings of God to themselves whether their leaders are walking in the path the Lord dictates or not. Close quote. Revelation was required to establish this church. Revelation has brought it from its humble beginnings to its present course. Revelation has come like flowing living water. Continuing revelation will lead it forward to the wind-up sea. But as President Clark told us, we do not need more or different prophets. We need more people with a listening ear. We make no claim of infallibility or perfection in the prophets, seers, and revelators. Yet I humbly state that I have sat in the company of these men, and I believe their greatest desire is to know and do the will of our Heavenly Father. Those who sit in the highest councils of this Church and have participated as inspiration has come and decisions have been reached know that this light and truth is beyond human intelligence and reasoning. These deep divine impressions have come as the dews from heaven and settled upon them individually and collectively. So inspired, we can move forward in complete unity and accord. I witness humbly that I know the Lord still guides His Church through His servants, regardless of any individual imperfections. 
I pray that we may be responsive to his spirit and be found listening to the oracles he has appointed. I so pray because I know that we mortals without the aid of revelation cannot know the purposes of God. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you, President. My beloved brethren and sisters, it is a joy to be able to meet with you again in another glorious general conference of the Church, to feel of your spirit and support, and to know of your love of the Lord. I look forward to hearing the inspiring messages of the general authorities of the Church. I am so grateful for their sustaining power, and in particular for the great help of my noble counselors and the Quorum of the Twelve. May I express to them and to all of you my deep appreciation for your kind remembrances to me on my recent 90th birthday. In the past, I have directed my remarks to the children of the Church, to the young men and to the young women, to the single adult brethren and sisters, and to the mothers and fathers in Israel. This morning, I would like to speak to the elderly in the Church, and to their families, and to those who minister to their needs. I hold special feelings for the elderly, for this marvelous group of men and women. I feel that in some measure I understand them, for I am one of them. <laughs> the Lord knows and loves the elderly among His people. It has always been so and upon them he has bestowed many of his greatest responsibilities. In various dispensations he has guided his people through prophets who were in their advancing years. He has needed the wisdom and the experience of age, the inspired direction from those with long years of proven faithfulness to his gospel. The Lord blessed Sarah in her old age to bear Abraham a child. Perhaps King Benjamin's greatest sermon was given when he was very elderly and nigh unto death. He was truly an instrument in the hands of the Lord, and he was able to lead and establish peace among his people. Many other men and women throughout the ages have accomplished great things as they went forth to serve the Lord and his children, even in their elderly years. In our dispensation, of the thirteen prophets who have been called of the Lord, many were called when they were in their seventies or eighties or even older. How the Lord knows and loves His children, who have given so much through their years of experience. We love you, who are the elderly of the Church. You are the fastest-growing segment of our population in the world today, as well as within the Church. Our desires are that your golden years will be wonderful and rewarding. We pray that you will feel the joy of a life well spent and one filled with fond memories and even greater expectations through Christ's atonement. We hope you will feel of the peace the Lord promised those who continue to strive to keep His commandments and follow His example. We hope your days are filled with things to do and ways in which you can render service to others who are not as fortunate as you. 
Older almost always means better, for your wealth of wisdom and experience can continue to expand and increase as you reach out to others. May we suggest eight areas in which we can make the most of our senior years? First, work in the temple and attend often. We who are older should use our energies not only to bless our predecessors, but to ensure that insofar as possible, all of our posterity might receive the ordinances of exaltation in the temple. Work with your families, counsel with and pray for those who may yet be unwilling to prepare themselves. We urge all who can to attend the temple frequently and accept calls to serve in the temple when health and strength and distance will permit. We rely on you to help in temple service. With the increasing number of temples, we need more of our members to prepare themselves for this sweet work. Sister Benson and I are grateful that almost every week we can attend the temple together. What a blessing this has been in our lives. Number two, collect and write family histories. We call upon you to pursue vigorously the gathering and writing of personal and family histories. In so many instances, you alone have within you the history, the memory of loved ones, the dates and events. In some situations, you are the family history. In few ways will your heritage be better preserved than by your collecting and writing your histories. Number three, become involved in missionary service. We need increasing numbers of senior missionaries in missionary service. Where health and means make it possible, we call upon hundreds more of our couples to set their lives and affairs in order and go on missions. How we need you in the mission field. You are able to perform missionary service in ways that our younger missionaries cannot. I'm grateful that two of my own widowed sisters were able to serve as missionary companions together in England. They were 68 and 73 years of age when they were called, and they both had a marvelous experience. What an example and a blessing it is to a family's posterity when grandparents serve missions. Most senior couples who go are strengthened and revitalized by missionary service. Through this holy avenue of service, many are sanctified and feel the joy of bringing others to a knowledge of the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Also, through the Family to Family Book of Mormon program, send copies of the Book of Mormon on missions for you with your testimonies enclosed. Number four. Provide leadership by building family togetherness. We urge all senior members, where possible, to call their families together. Organize them into cohesive units. Give leadership to family gatherings. Establish family reunions where fellowship and family heritage can be felt and learned. Some of the sweetest memories I have are of my own family reunions and gatherings. Foster wonderful family traditions, which will bind you together eternally. 
In doing so, we can create a bit of heaven right here on earth within individual families. After all, eternity will be but an extension of righteous family life. Number five, accept and fulfill church callings. We trust that all senior members who possibly can will accept callings of the church and fulfill them with dignity. I am grateful to personally know brethren who are in their 70s and 80s who are serving as bishops and branch presidents. How we need the counsel and influence of you who have walked the pathway of life. We all need to hear of your successes and how you have risen above heartache, pain, or disappointment, having become stronger for experiencing them. There are rich opportunities for you to serve in most of the organizations of the Church. You have the time and solid gospel foundation which enable you to render a great work. In so many ways, you lead out in faithful service in the Church. We thank you for all that you have done and pray that the Lord will strengthen you to do more. Number six. Plan your financial future. As you move through life toward retirement and the decades which follow, we invite all of our senior members to plan frugally for the years following full-time employment. Let us avoid unnecessary debt. We also advise caution in co-signing financial notes, even with family members when retirement income might be jeopardized. Be even more cautious in advancing years about get-rich schemes, mortgaging homes, or investing in uncertain ventures. Proceed cautiously so that the planning of a lifetime is not disrupted by one or a series of poor financial decisions. Plan your financial future early, then follow the plan. Number seven, render Christ-like service. Christ-like service exalts. Knowing this, we call upon all senior members who are able to thrust in their sickles in service to others. This can be part of the sanctifying process. The Lord has promised that those who lose their lives serving others will find themselves. The Prophet Joseph Smith told us that we should wear out our lives in bringing to pass his purposes. Peace and joy and blessings will follow those who render service to others. Yes, we commend Christ-like service to all, but it is especially sweet in the lives of the elderly. Number eight, stay physically fit, healthy, and active. We are thrilled with the efforts being made by so many of the elderly to ensure good health in advancing years. We see many walking in the early mornings. We hear of others who use exercise equipment in their own homes. Some even enter marathons and do remarkably well. Still others have swimming programs to keep them fit. Until recently, our own beloved General Authority Emeritus, Joseph Anderson, now in his 100th year, would swim a mile every day. I'm not quite up to that, but I do enjoy a vigorous walk each day, which refreshes me. 
How we love to see our elderly remain vigorous and active. Through keeping active, both the mind and the body function better. One stake president reported that one of his members went water skiing on his 80th birthday. To you who have lost your spouses, we should also like to express our love. Sometimes there is, for some of you, a feeling of uselessness and aloneness, which can be almost overwhelming. In so many instances, this need not be so. In addition to the eight major suggestions just mentioned, here is a sampling of activities that have proved helpful to others. Some who are alone keep busy by quilting blankets for each new grandchild to be married or each new baby born into the family. Others write letters on birthdays or attend school and athletic events of grandchildren when they can. Some compile albums of pictures and each grandchild to give on birthdays. We know of one widowed great-grandmother who teaches piano to nearly 30 students. She has spoken to nearly 5,000 youth in the last three years. One of them asked her, Did you cross the plains with the pioneers? (laughs) We see numerous others of our widows who volunteer as pink ladies at the hospitals or render other kinds of community service. So many find fulfillment helping in these ways. The key to overcoming aloneness and a feeling of uselessness for one who is physically able is to step outside yourself by helping others who are truly needy. We promise those who will render this kind of service that in some measure you will be healed of the loss of loved ones or the dread of being alone. The way to feel better about your own situation is to improve someone else's circumstances. To those who are ill and suffering pain and the vicissitudes of this life, we extend particular love and concern. Our hearts and prayers go out to you. Remember what Father Lehi said in blessing his son Jacob, who had suffered at the hands of his older brothers Laman and Lemuel? He said, Thou knowest the greatness of God, and he shall consecrate thine afflictions for thy gain, and so he will for you. We pray that you will continue to strive to remain strong in attitude and spirit. We know it is not always easy. We pray that those who now do for you tasks that you no longer are able to do for yourself will do so in love, in gentleness, and with a caring spirit. We hope that you will continue to generate good thoughts and feelings in your heart and your mind and quickly dismiss those which are harmful and destructive to you. We trust your prayers are being offered daily and even hourly if needed. As the Book of Mormon teaches, live in thanksgiving daily for the many mercies and blessings which God doth bestow upon you. You will find that the daily reading of the Book of Mormon will lift your spirit, draw you nearer to your Savior, and help you to be a student of the gospel who can share great truths with others. 
Now for a few minutes, may I speak to the families of the elderly. We repeat a scripture from Psalms. Cast me not off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength faileth. We encourage families to give their elderly parents and grandparents the love, care, and attention they deserve. Let us remember the scriptural command that we must care for those of our own house, lest we be found worse than an infidel. I am so grateful for my own dear family and for the loving care they have given their parents over so many years. Remember, parents and grandparents are our responsibility, and we are to care for them to the very best of our ability. When the elderly have no families to care for them, priesthood and Relief Society teachers should make every effort to meet their needs in the same loving way. We submit a few suggestions to families of the elderly. Ever since the Lord etched the Ten Commandments into the tablets of stone, His words from Sinai have echoed down through the centuries to honor thy father and thy mother. To honor and respect our parents means that we have a high regard for them. We love and appreciate them and are concerned about their happiness and their well-being. We treat them with courtesy and thoughtful consideration. We seek to understand their point of view. Certainly obedience to parents' righteous desires and wishes is a part of honoring. Furthermore, our parents deserve our honor and respect for giving to us life itself. Beyond this, they almost always made countless sacrifices as they cared for and nurtured us through our infancy and childhood. They provided us with the necessities of life and nursed us through physical illness and the emotional stresses of growing up. In many instances, they provided us with the opportunity to receive an education, and in a measure, they educated us. Much of what we know and do, we learn from their example. May we ever be grateful to them and show that gratitude. Let us also learn to be forgiving of our parents, who, perhaps having made mistakes as they reared us, almost always did the best they knew how. May we ever forgive them as we would likewise wish to be forgiven by our own children for mistakes we make. Even when parents become elderly, we ought to honor them by allowing them freedom of choice and the opportunity for independence as long as possible. Let us not take away from them choices which they can still make. Some parents are able to live and care for themselves well into their advancing years and would prefer to do so. Where they can, let them. If they become less able to live independently, then family, church, and community resources may be needed to help them. When the elderly become unable to care for themselves, even with supplemental aid. Care can be provided in the home of a family member where possible. Church and community resources may also be needed in this situation. The role of the caregiver is vital. 
there is great need for support and help to be given such a person. Usually this is an elderly spouse of a middle-aged daughter with children of her own to care for, as well as caring for the elderly parent. We also hope that you would include the elderly in family activities when possible. What a joy it is for us to see lively, sweet grandchildren with a loving grandparent right in the midst of them. Children love such occasions. They love to have their grandparents visit them and to have them over for dinner, for family home evenings, and for other special events. This provides opportunities for teaching ways to honor, love, respect, and care for those who are in their later years. Grandparents can have a profound influence on their grandchildren. Their time is generally not as encumbered and busy as the parents, so books can be opened and read. Stories can be told and application of gospel principles taught. Children then obtain a perspective of life which is not only rewarding but can bring them security, peace, and strength. It is possible to send letters, tapes, and pictures, particularly where distances are great, and it is not possible to see one another often. Those who are blessed with a closeness to grandparents and other elderly people have a rich companionship and association. There might be times when they can attend graduations, weddings, temple excursions, missionary farewells and homecomings, and other special events with family members. We enjoy watching our children and grandchildren grow and achieve in special ways as we share in many of their joys and rejoice in their victories. Happiness blesses our lives as our children strive and achieve in their own lives. In 3 John chapter 1, verse 4, we read, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And knowing this can bring a renewal of love and courage to continue in our own struggles. Finally, we would urge priesthood leaders of the elderly to be sensitive to the spirit of our Father in heaven in assessing and meeting the spiritual, physical, emotional, and financial needs of the elderly. We trust you will utilize your counselors Melchizedek Priesthood Quorum Leaders and Relief Society Leaders, home teachers and visiting teachers in this great responsibility, for we must fulfill these duties without reluctance, without hesitation. We hope that priesthood and auxiliary leaders will continue to give the elderly callings in which they can use their reservoirs of wisdom and counsel. We hope, where possible, that each can be a home teacher or a visiting teacher, even those who are somewhat confined to their beds and their homes, can sometimes assist in this watch care through telephone calls, writing notes, or other special assignments. A priesthood leader can do much to assist and encourage individuals and couples as they prepare to serve missions. The temple extraction and welfare programs are blessed greatly 
by those who are in their senior years and have opportunities to serve in this area. We hope that each of the elderly individuals and couples has sensitive and caring home teachers and visiting teachers assigned to them. Great comfort and peace can come to those who know they have someone to whom they can turn in time of emergency or need. It is important that tact, diplomacy, and sincerity be evident in assessing and addressing such needs. We hope you will involve the independent elderly in compassionate service assignments. Include them also in stake and ward social activities, especially single members and those with dependent spouses. So many times they are forgotten, especially at the time of the death of a spouse. Loving care can be given. This is a very tender time for most. At times, temporary relief is very much needed and appreciated by family members who provide constant physical and emotional care to those with special needs. It is important to help the family maintain its functions as a family with periodic freedom from the heavy responsibilities that long-term or terminal illness can impose. All need loving support and relief from the overwhelming duties of serious illness or problems. Transportation is often a great concern to the elderly. We can assist by providing a way for them to attend their Sunday meetings, visit loved ones, shop, go to the doctor or to the clinic. Again, we should prayerfully seek inspiration and direction in caring for the elderly. There is always a great diversity of individuals and individual needs. God bless the elderly in the Church. I love you with all my heart. I am one of you. You have so much to live for. May these golden years be your very best years as you fully live and love and serve. And God bless those who minister to your needs, your family, your friends, and your fellow Church members and leaders. I leave with you my testimony of the joy of living, of the joys of full gospel living, and of going through the refiner's fire and the sanctification process that takes place. As the Apostle Paul so well said, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. I leave my blessing upon you. The Savior lives. This is His Church. The work is true. And in the words of our Lord and Savior, Look unto me, and endure to the end, and ye shall live. For unto him that endureth to the end will I give eternal life, to which I testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This tabernacle never looks so beautiful as it does on the occasion of these women's meetings. Thank you for being here. 
It's a very difficult act to follow these three able and dedicated women. I commend to you what they have spoken to us this evening. Their words have been inspiring. I speak by assignment from President Benson. I am grateful that he is with us. I convey to you his love as I convey also the love of President Monson and that of all of the general authorities of the Church. Please know that we do love you and that we are concerned with your happiness as daughters of God and as our sisters in the Church. A week ago I had an interesting experience. Without any official assignment, I attended a state conference in a rural area of southeastern Utah. The state president and his wife had invited Sister Hinckley and me to stay at their home. While he conducted his Saturday afternoon meeting, we rode about the state, visiting a half-dozen little towns, in each of which there is a church meeting house. We noted the lawns were green, the buildings nicely kept although they are small and some of them are old. We drove about and looked at the homes, modest in their appearance, but in almost every case there was neatness and beauty with flowers in bloom. Having a free Saturday and Sunday, I had wanted to make this trip simply to thank the people for their faith and faithfulness and to express my love to them. Most of them are farm folk who work hard for a small return. But they know a great truth. They know the law of the harvest. As ye sow, so shall ye also reap. They know that you do not reap wheat after sowing oats. They know that you do not get a racehorse from a scrub mare. They know that if you are to build another great generation, you must work with vision and faith. You must dream and plan, serve and sacrifice, pray and labor. After being with these wonderful people for two days, Sister Hinckley observed, these are the kind who constitute the glue that holds the Church together. The home where we stayed was not pretentious, but it was comfortable and clean and delightful. The husband, I believe, did not have a large income, but he knew how to spend it wisely, first paying his tithes and offerings and, set and setting aside some in savings. His wife is a beautiful woman, the mother of six sons and one daughter. You need not look far to know that in that home there is love and respect one for another. There is appreciation and gratitude. Through the years they have known adversity, lean times, and death-threatening sickness. I repeat, I went among these people to express my gratitude and love. I felt a great, overwhelming measure of love in return. Here in this stake of small rural wards, among people who made no tense, pretense at sophistication, I found strength and faith and virtue. I found men whose hands were gnarled and whose skin was wrinkled with the sun's heat of many summers, men in whose hearts there was a great capacity for love, love for the land and the sky above it, love for their wives and children, 
love for the Church and its eternal purposes, love for God and the Savior of all mankind. I looked into the eyes of beautiful women, women of virtue and strength and capacity, older women who knew much of struggle and disappointment and pain, young women who knew much of purpose and goodness and art and learning. I looked into the eyes of children, beautiful and innocent and wonderful. I do not wish to infer that I could not find such in cities and towns all over the world. Such people are to be found everywhere. But somehow there seems so much larger a percentage of them among the folks whom we visited. Their feet were planted on the solid earth. They knew the meaning of work without respect to hours or season. I also wanted to visit among them because I have met their sons and daughters in the mission field in many lands. These have been effective missionaries because they have learned to get up in the morning and get their chores done. They have been dedicated missionaries because when they were very young they learned to pray at their mother's knees and heard their fathers bear testimony of the truth of this great Latter-day work. Not only have these sons and daughters gone on missions, but by dint of great sacrifice they have gone away to school and won places of honor across the nation as they serve in business and the professions. I had taken a briefcase filled with papers to read on the long ride to and from. Among those papers were three letters sent to the headquarters of the Church from women in other areas. They spoke of things different from what I had noticed on my visit. They spoke of heartache and heartbreak, of abusive, egotistical, demanding husbands, of unthankful children whose earlier lives had been marred by abuse of a hunger for love and attention and opportunity to express their talents. My heart reaches out to the writers of these letters and to many others who, by the circumstances in which they find themselves, feel oppressed and smothered, all but destroyed. I regret that there are some men who are egotistical and evil, who are insensitive and even brutal. They are to be both condemned and pitied. I believe that any man who offends a daughter of God will someday be held accountable, and the time will come when he will stand before the bar of judgment with sorrow and remorse. But this is material for another talk and that to the men of the Church. <laughs> to you women, I wish to wish a challenge tonight. That challenge is to rise to the stature of the divine within you. As you have been reminded, yours is a godly inheritance. I am a child of God is not an idle or meaningless statement. You were there when the morning stars sang together and the sons and daughters of God shouted for joy. You brought some of that inheritance with you when you came trailing clouds of glory from God who is our home. You were there when there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, 
And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. You were among those who chose to follow the plan of him who became our Redeemer, rather than the plan of whom, him who became our adversary. Great and marvelous is your place in the plan of God, our Eternal Father. Is there anything more beautiful, anything that speaks more of divinity than a lovely little girl? I have little granddaughters, bright-eyed and beautiful, who sing and smile and touch my heart with thoughts of heaven. When I see them in their innocence, I recall the words of the Lord, except ye become as a little child, ye can in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. I see young women radiant in the beauty of youth, whose virtue is more precious than rubies, young women who are bright and who study with enthusiasm and diligence to learn the word of the Lord and also to equip themselves to take their places with honor and ability in the world in which they will live. Young women who know the word of God and can quote it, who know the standards of the Church and live by them, who have a sense of worth and a wondrous sensitivity to the beauties of life and nature, music and art, who treasure truth and seek to enlarge their understanding of it, who have determined that worthiness to enter the house of the Lord for a divine endowment and an eternal sealing is the most desirable of all goals. <clears throat> Can anyone doubt that there is something divine within such? I see young mothers. I have three daughters and two daughters-in-law who love and honor their husbands, who nurture and treasure and train their children who teach and direct in the organizations of the Church, who go to the house of the Lord with unselfishness in their hearts, who love life and face its challenges and adversities, as well as drink deeply of its enriching experiences and beauties. I enjoy their laughter and their scintillating discussions one with another, and I thank the Lord for them, and very many like them, for the touch of divinity within them. I observe older women mature from the living of many years. In their hearts is a solid, unshakable residual of faith. In their souls is a great residual of love to be widely spread for the blessing of others. In their minds is an appreciation for goodness and truth and beauty. In their hearts is an understanding for and a love of God, our Eternal Father, and His beloved Son, our Redeemer. These are among those who rise to the stature of the divine inheritance they carry. For you who are young and for you who are older, may I rather quickly suggest three endeavors in which all of you can engage. In making these suggestions, I do not ask that you reach beyond your capacity. Please don't nag yourself with thoughts of failure. Do not set goals far beyond your capacity to achieve. Simply do what you can do in the best way you know, 
and the Lord will accept of your effort. First, educate your hands and your minds. You belong to a church which espouses education. To you young women, may I suggest that you get all the education you can. Train yourselves to make a contribution to the society in which you will live. There is an essence of the divine in the improvement of the mind. The glory of God is intelligence, or in other words, light and truth. Whatever principle of intelligence we attain unto in this life, it will rise with us in the resurrection. Almost the entire field of human endeavor is now open to women in contrast with difficult restrictions that were felt only a few years ago. I would wish that all of you women might have the blessing of a happy marriage and a happy home, and that you would not have to go out into the marketplace to labor for income. But I know that for some of you this may be a necessity, and you will be better equipped to do so if your hands and minds are trained. Furthermore, whether it is applied to earn a earning a living or not, education is an investment that never ceases to pay dividends of one kind or another. In the process of educating your minds, stir within yourselves a greater sensitivity to the beautiful, the artistic, and the cultivation of the talent you possess, be it large or small. I was in the Manti temple the other day. I never go in that temple without thinking of a woman who did a substantial portion of the murals that grace its walls. Her name was Minerva Teichert. I met her on a number of occasions years ago. She came out of a small rural community in Wyoming. She had a talent, and she cultivated it. Her remarkable work adorns one of the beautiful houses of the Lord. Even though some of you may be fully occupied with families and have little time for other things at this stage of your lives, you can enlarge your minds and broaden your understanding through the reading of good books. There is much of worth on television. I am the first to recognize this. But I am also mindful of the tremendous waste of time indulged in by many and particularly by those who spend hours watching titillating trash. How marvelous a thing is a good book! How stimulating to read and share with a great writer thoughts that build and strengthen and broaden one's horizon. You may think you're too busy. Ten or fifteen minutes a day with the scriptures and particularly with the Book of Mormon can give you marvelous understanding of the great eternal truths which have been preserved by the power of the Almighty for the blessing of His children. As you read of the life and teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will draw closer to Him who is the author of our salvation. My second suggestion, keep marriage and motherhood in their true perspective. A happy marriage is the aim of every young woman. I know that some will be denied this opportunity. I urge you not to spend your time in self-pity. 
Rather, keep yourselves alive and vivacious in those activities which will bring satisfaction into your lives while associating with others who are vigorously pursuing lofty objectives. Remember always that you are not alone. There are thousands like you, and you are not helpless, a victim of fate. You can, in large measure, master your fate and strengthen your self-worth in reaching out to those who need and will appreciate your talents, your contributions, your help. To those of you who are married, make of your marriage a partnership. As I have said before from this pulpit, I am satisfied that God, our eternal Father, does not love his daughters less than he loves his sons. Under the gospel plan, the wife walks neither ahead nor behind her husband, but at his side in a true companionship before the Lord. I see my own companion of 52 years. Is her contribution less acceptable before the Lord than is mine? I am satisfied it is not. She has walked quietly at my side, sustained me in my responsibilities, reared and blessed our children, served in many capacities in the Church, and spread an unmitigated measure of cheer and goodness wherever she has gone. The older I grow, the more I appreciate, yes, the more I love this little woman with whom I kneeled at the altar in the house of the Lord more than half a century ago. I wish with all of my heart that every marriage might be a happy marriage. I wish that every marriage might be an eternal partnership. I believe that wish can be realized if there is a willingness to make the effort to bring it to pass. God bless you, my beloved sisters, who stand as the queens in your home, that you may be happy with that happiness which comes of the knowledge that you are loved and honored and treasured. Thirdly, may I suggest that you walk with prayer and faith, with charity and love. Our Father in heaven has endowed his daughters with a unique and wonderful capacity to reach out to those in distress, to bring comfort and succor, to bind up the wounds and heal the aching heart. One of the darkest chapters in the history of our people occurred in 1838 when they were being driven from Missouri. The incident to which I refer is known as the Hans Mill Massacre. In that tragic happening, Amanda Smith lost her husband and her son Sargis. Her younger boy Alma was savagely wounded. In the darkness, she carried him from the mill to a shelter in the brush. His hip joint had been shot away. Through the night she cried out in prayer, O oh, my heavenly Father, what shall I do? Thou seest my poor wounded boy and know my inexperience. Heavenly Father, direct me what to do. She later wrote in her journal concerning what happened. I was directed by a, as by a voice speaking to me. The ashes of our fire were still smoldering. We had been burning the bark of the shagbark hickory. I was directed to take those ashes and make a lie 
and put a wool cloth saturated with it right into the wound. It hurt, but little Alma was too near dead to heed it much. Again and again I saturated the cloth and put it into the hole from which the hip joint had been plowed. Having done as directed, I again prayed to the Lord and was again instructed as distinctly as though a physician had been standing by speaking to me. Nearby was a slippery elm tree. From this, I was told to make a slippery elm poultice and fill the wound with it. She was able to get the injured boy to a house. With a mother's love and a mother's faith, she said to him, The Lord can make something there in the place of your hip. She had him lie on his face, and there he remained while a miracle occurred. Of that miracle, she wrote, So Alma laid on his face for five weeks until he was entirely recovered, a flexible gristle having grown in place of the missing joint and socket, which remains to this day a marvel to physicians. On the day that he walked again, I was out of the house fetching a bucket of water when I heard screams from the children. Running back in a fright, I entered, and there was Alma on the floor dancing around and the children screaming in astonishment and joy. It is now nearly 40 years ago, she concluded, but Alma has never been the least bit crippled during his life, and he's traveled a long period of time as a missionary of the gospel and a living miracle of the power of God. Marvelous is the power of women of faith. It has been demonstrated again and again in the history of this Church. It goes on among us today. I think it is part of the divinity within you. Sisters, rise to the stature of that divinity. In that effort, make the world in which you live a better place for yourself and for all who will come after you. There is much to do. There are many challenges to be met. I read again the other day something of the story of a woman who died years ago but the effect of whose work is being felt increasingly over the earth. Rachel Carson published her book Silent Spring in October of 1962, 27 years ago. It alerted the nation and the world to the hazards of toxic chemicals. She was criticized and denounced for what she wrote. But people read and began to realize the dangers that were being created around them. Nearly two million copies of that book were sold and read. A public awareness was created. Legislation was passed. Remarkable things have happened in the cleaning up of air and water. Some may feel the regulation has gone to the extreme, as it does in cases. But who can doubt that we and the generations who follow will be the better protected because of the efforts of this woman? trained in her field and bold in her declaration, whose book changed the attitude of millions upon millions in all parts of the globe. In the pioneering days of this Church when men grubbed the sagebrush and broke the sod so that crops might be planted to sustain life, many a wife and mother planted a few flowers and a few fruit trees to add beauty and taste to the drabness of pioneer life. 
There are so many things that you can do. Beauty is a thing divine. The cultivation of it becomes an expression of the divine nature within you. Yes, there are adversities to be overcome, not a few of them. There are trials to be endured. There is much of evil in the world and too much of harshness even in the home. Do what you can to rise above all of this. Stand up. Speak out against evil and brutality. Safeguard against abuse. Keep out of your homes the filthiness of the world which can lead to such abuse. Rise up in the stature of your divine inheritance. God bless you, you wonderful girls, you strong and able young women, you older women of faith and integrity, you mothers in Zion. I humbly pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.